Well, let's go back to our Bibles, if you would please, in Acts chapter 25. We've been studying through the book of Acts, and we welcome each of you who are here maybe for the first time, and we're glad that we have the Bible, aren't you? And the Bible's given us one book with 66 books inside. The first 39 were written before Jesus came to the earth. The last 27 were written after Jesus went back to heaven. We call the first group the Old Testament, and the next 27 books the New Testament. The main purpose of the Bible is to tell us how sinners like us can be reconciled with the God who's holy. God doesn't want you to spend eternity away from him in hell. He loves you. He wants you to be saved. If you're here today and you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven, uh, God wants you to know that. He's pursuing you. It's part of the reason that you're here. He wants you to understand the gospel. Jesus said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. God is in a, in a pursuit of every human being to bring them to his son, Jesus. But he does that through two ways. One is the word of God. The other is the spirit of God. When people get saved, when they find out what it means to have eternal life, someone needs to show them what the Bible says. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But the word of God in and of itself cannot bring someone to salvation. You can show that to anybody, it doesn't mean they get saved. But they do need another component, and that's the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God that works inside of people. And he tells us three things. Number one, that we're in trouble. He convicts us of our sin. If you don't think you have a problem with sin, you won't need Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us that you and I are sinners. Number two, that we need the righteousness that's in Jesus. The righteousness of a church is not good enough. The righteousness of being baptized, it is the reason you get baptized. You should get baptized after you're saved to fulfill all righteousness. It's the right thing to do. But baptism cannot save you. No, the righteousness we need is not in a religion. It's not in ourselves. It's not in a priest or a pastor or a curriculum or a creed. It's in a person, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to you. He reminds us that we're sinners, that we deserve hell, and we can't save ourselves. He reminds us that, that Jesus is our only hope. And if we refuse Jesus, we will suffer judgment. Eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Say, Pastor, are you one of those hellfire and brimstone preachers? Yes. <laughs> I am because Jesus was that. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. He, he talked about hell often in his times. And, and if all the books were written that Jesus wrote, uh, that he said, if everybody recorded everything, even though all the books of the world could not contain all that he said. But what he did say, he said, there is a hell to avoid. There is a heaven to enjoy. There is a Savior that can take away our sin, and we can exchange our sin for his Son. I love the Bible for that reason. Many reasons about it. But I also love the Bible because it teaches me how to live after I know I'm going to heaven. The book of Acts is a book that tells us basically about what happened after Jesus went back to heaven. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus goes back to be with his Father. In chapter 2, Jesus sends his Spirit to inhabit those who've accepted him. 
And they, with the Holy Spirit on the, out, on the inside of them, and a commission on the outside of them that came from their Savior, they went out and told people about Jesus Christ. And we're still doing that today. That's one of the reasons for the church. It's the pillar and ground of truth. It's to know the truth, to study the truth, to support the truth, and to propagate the truth of the gospel of Christ. Well, here we find many years have gone by, probably as many as 22, 23 years, maybe as many as 25 years since Jesus has gone back to heaven. The crucifixion is in the rearview mirror over two decades. The Really, the, the, the point man for Christianity, the worldwide, has been in prison for two years. His name, his birth name is Saul. He has a Gentile name, Paul. And he goes by that now in his, in his Gentile journey. He has come back to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, to support his people, and to bring gifts and testimonies, and it really all backfires. The church wasn't, doesn't seem to be very appreciative, and angry Jews from Asia grab him, pull him out, and try to execute him there on the spot. He is rescued supernaturally by uh, the, chief of, of the chief captain, a chief captain oversaw about a thousand soldiers. And this guy, was his name was Lysias, and uh, he was in charge of, Is- of Jerusalem's soldiers. And uh, he rescues him. There's a lot of things that go on, but he sends 470 of his soldiers, almost half of his men, with Paul to take him to Caesarea. Caesarea is a, is a seaside town. And it's on the sea level, obviously. Jerusalem is up on a little bit higher plane, and, and that is a Jewish. But the Roman emperors didn't want to spend a lot of time in Jerusalem. It was a little volatile. It was frustrating overseeing the Jews at the time because they didn't want to be under Roman rule. And yet they had to be. So they would like to stay out in Caesarea. Well, there's been a guy named Felix who has been in charge of him for two years. He has found him to be innocent and Paul witnesses to him and tells him the gospel of Christ. And Felix starts getting nervous and he says, trembles. And he says, man, come back another time. And many times he would interview Paul when he would get bored or maybe get convicted or interested or curious again. He would pull him out of jail and bring him for two reasons. One, to hear about the gospel again, no doubt. That was curiosity. We probably did not get saved. However, but he also wanted him to give him a bribe. He wanted to give him some money so he'd have a reason to let him go. But he kept him incarcerated because the Jewish Sanhedrin were fired up. They hated him. He was the point man for Jesus and many, and he was the holy one. He was righteous. He was godly. And they despised him. We'll pick up our reading, if we can, at verse number number one of chapter 25. Now Felix has been disciplined by the Roman government. Caesar has called him to Rome, and he's got some issues for things he didn't do right. And he sends another guy named Festus into his place. The Bible says into his room, into his position. Festus is coming in, and Festus is a little stronger hand, no doubt about it. He's definitely not impressed at all with Paul. He doesn't care about Paul. He calls his religion superstition. He doesn't have any interest in him. He doesn't care about Jesus He certainly doesn't care about Paul. But he's just three days into his journey there, uh, into his room, his responsibility, and he makes his way from the uh, the shoreside town of Caesarea up to Jerusalem. 
Before we go to our reading, would you mind doing something for me? Hold your place in Acts chapter 25, and let's turn to Acts chapter 9. I want you, Paul has been incarcerated for two years. It's not a bad jail. It's a good situation for him. He's not in a very bad, like, solitary confinement. He can receive friends. They're bringing him food. They're bringing support. Dr. Luke is with him. We believe it may have been the time that he went to Jerusalem a few times, made the 65-mile journey over there to learn about uh, things that he would write in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. But he's with him. If we look at, please, in chapter 9, though, is the conversion of Saul. It's when Saul get, comes to know Jesus as his Savior. If you'll look at, please, at verse number 31, I want you to see this, or verse 15, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 15. And a a man named Ananias is asked to come and pray over Saul, who is a known killer of Christians. He kind of balks about it, but look at verse 15. Here's what the Lord says. Would you read it out loud with me? Chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles, and and for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. So the man who went to pray over Paul, Saul, when he first got saved, said, look, don't be nervous about going to pray over him, because he's been chosen to be my man for the Gentile world. And he's going to speak before kings. And he's going to suffer many things for my sake. He's my man. I can't help but think that Paul knew that. But he may have not had had the chance to be in front of a king. He's going to appear before Caesar one day. He's going to appear before King Agrippa in chapter 26. He's, uh, He's going to have Herods and different folks in charge of him. He's going to be put in places... And he knew when he was, when he was uh, saved that he was going to be used of God. He was going to suffer a lot, and he was going to be speaking before kings. That had not yet happened yet, to my knowledge. But I want you to look real quickly at chapter 23. Would you go to chapter 23? We'll go back to 25 in just a moment. Chapter 23, and look at verse 11. This is at a very difficult, difficult season of his life. And here we find the Lord tells him he's going to suffer. He's going to speak to the Gentiles and kings for his sake. Verse number 11, look at this and read it out loud with me, would you please? 2311. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, I want to say to you real quickly, When Paul went through difficult times, when he was going through difficult time, when he stood before another magistrate, when he received nothing, he did nothing but good and got nothing but bad, I think he could do two things. And then whenever they said, we're going to kill you, he had two things in his mind. First of all, he was chosen for this. Number two, he was going to be in Rome. God told him both of those things. You're made for this, and you're going to be in Rome. You know, I think every Christian needs to occasionally remind yourself, whatever you're going through, you're made for this. God equipped you to do what you're doing. So, no, Pastor, my parents have really rejected me. I don't know how I can do it. You're made for this. 
The finances are so tight. I don't know how we're going to pay our bills. You're made for this. God's given me a new position. I'm in charge of a bus route, or I've got a new church that I'm in charge. Or I've been put into a place that's just over my head. Can I tell you something? You're made for that. Whatever you're going through, God has equipped you, and he will give you what you have in your past, and he will give you his presence for your present to do whatever God has called you to do. So every once in a while you say, well, I just can't take it. I'm up to No, you're not. God, if you'll trust in the Lord and you'll believe in him and you'll trust him. And by the way, I'm glad one day I'm not going to end up in Rome. I'm going to end up in heaven. <laughs> whatever happens to John Wilkerson, whatever happens to you, if you're a child of God, you're going to heaven. And Paul had inside of him an understanding. I'm going to Rome and I've been chosen not only to speak to Gentile world and not only to speak to kings and to magistrates, but I've been chosen to, go, to take a, t- a difficult path. And I'm made for this. I was chosen for this. As I thought about this passage of scripture, and I'm going to have a little bit of time to go a lot of, cover a lot of territory, but I couldn't help but be arrested as I sat in my seat and prayed about this if I fell to my knees and asked God to help me for this time. There's a lot of people in this room That whatever God's called you, if you're a single mom, I'm sorry. I wish that sin hasn't complicated your life. But you can do it. You can do whatever God wants you to do. If you've been rejected by your family or you have difficulties or hardships or you came here as an immigrant to America and you're trying to screech out a living or work through a situation, God can give you the help you need. If your parents were divorced... If you went through a difficult season, you're like, I don't even know. I don't know how I made it. You know how you made it? Because you were made for that. God has given you the skill set and the faith to trust him. Whatever it is you're going through. Paul, it wasn't an easy road for him. I can't help but think on the difficult days of his life. First of all, it's wonderful that God keeps showing up. The Lord keeps coming to him. And remind him, you'd be of good cheer. Whatever you're afraid about, stop being afraid about it. I'm with you. We're going to do this. You're going to Rome. And you can do anything you ought to do. That wonderful verse, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Whatever God has given me to do, I can do it. And you can do it. As I think about Apostle Paul as he sat in this jail and he knew he was going back to a kangaroo court. He knew he would not get any help. Maybe wondered if this new guy coming in town would have a different story. He no doubt had many logs and many minutes of their interviews and the court reporting of all that took place, but it, he was, the next guy was even harder than the previous guy. But I can't help but think, because you know what? I was chosen to do this, and God's going to help me. And one day, before I go to heaven, I'm going to be in Rome. It must have been a, a, a great consolation to his heart. And I want you to be encouraged by that. Look at chapter 25, verse number 1. The Bible says this, Now, when Festus was come into the province after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So he was not there very long, and he made his way to the troubled spot that he would oversee. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and and besought him, and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. And Festus answered, that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, 
and that he himself would be depart shortly thither. Let them, therefore, said he, which are among you who are able, go down with me, travel with me back to Caesarea, and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down into Caesarea, and the next day, sitting in the judgment seat, he went to court with them, commanded Paul to be brought to the judgment hall. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about him and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. I want you to notice real quickly a couple things. As I think about this, I think, first of all, uh, he was made to do what he's doing. But two years he had been sitting in, in incarceration, an innocent man, a godly man, a man walking the will of God, doing nothing but good and good intentions. His conscience is clean before God and clean before others, and yet he's been in a bad way. And while he's there, he's there two years, the new guy comes in town, and he makes his way on a beeline after being in office for no more than three days, uh, makes his way to Jerusalem. As soon as he comes there, he meets with the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jews. Some believe it was still Ananias, others believe it was another guy named Ishmael, who was now the chief captain or the chief, of the, the chief priest of the Jews. Whoever it was, it doesn't matter, but they quickly petitioned him. They said, we got some things. This is two years later. Almost 800 days has gone by. He has been 65 miles away from them, and they've been in Jerusalem. He's been over there writing books of the Bible and ministering, being ministered to. They're here. He has not crossed their path, except for a couple court dates when they came and tried to accuse him. But they are passionate in their hatred to kill him. The new guy comes in town. They said, look, we got to talk to you about something. There's a guy that's incarcerated up in Caesarea. His name is Paul. And uh, we could have taken care of this a long time ago. Would you send him back down and let us deal with our stuff? We'll take care of him. You can come and you can even, you can come and preside if you want to. But bring him back down here knowing they had every intent to kill him in transit. That was the idea. Why? We don't know. You would think that Festus would want to get in good with the Jewish leadership. But he's a politician. He knew what was going on. Maybe known what happened. He may have read some briefs already, but he said, you know, let's not, I'm not going to bring him down here. Probably because he didn't want to go down and come back. Well, he said, I'm not going to bring him back down here. But he said, if you guys want to, when I leave, you guys can ride with me. Ride with me over to Caesarea and we'll have court over there and find out what's going on. And he tarried with them. Or he spent time with them for 10 more days. And when 10 days were gone, he went with them and they came with him. The next day, he set up court and they began to lay heavy complaints about the Apostle Paul. That he did this and this and this. Basically, they accused him of several things. They accused him of sins uh, and violations of the Jewish law. Festus didn't care about that. He said they had, he, had, he had profaned the temple by bringing a Gentile. Festus didn't care about that. Then they said he was a ruler of sedition. He had had insurrection against the Roman government. Now, that would have gotten his attention, but I think he knew he had him there for two years. Nothing like that even surfaced. He knew that wasn't true, too. But he gives Paul a chance to speak. Let's look at if we can, please, in verse number 8. And while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. 
But Festus, willing to do the Jews' pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these, of these things before me? He said, Will you? So he said, I'm innocent. You know I'm innocent. And he said, uh, he said Well, you know, maybe we could take you up to Jerusalem and have you uh, taken to their court and have you do that. You can judge before me. Then Paul does something that not only surprises, but straps Festus. Verse number 10, then, then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. Remember, Paul is a Roman citizen. He's, he's, he's a Jew, but he's a Roman citizen. And every Roman citizen had the ability, if he did, wasn't getting a fair shake, to appeal to Caesar, Augustus himself, to appear to the appeal before him. It was a very serious offense, and very serious if it was denied. He says, well, I, I, appeal to, I, I, I appeal to Caesar. Look, if you would please, verse number 10. Where I ought to be judged. For the Jews I have done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. He got a little bit sharp with Festus. He said, you know I'm not guilty. I didn't do anything wrong, and you know it. Verse number 11. For if I be an offender and have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. So if I did something, I killed somebody, stole something, then I don't, I don't uh, fight my, my execution. But if there is none of these, these things whereof they accuse me, no man can deliver me unto them. I appeal to Caesar. And of course, Festus is now surprised and strapped by his, by his appeal. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, he got his lawyers together and answered, Hast thou appealed to Caesar? And to Caesar shalt thou go. I want you to notice a couple things real quickly, if I can. Number one, I want you to notice the un believable, relentless hatred of people toward a godly, right, and innocent man. You ever hear the psalmist say, why do the heathen what? Rage. They imagine a vain thing. I think we live in this day where right is wrong and wrong is right. It doesn't matter if someone's guilty or innocent. What matters is that we're going to prove, we're going to, we're going to prosecute. We see it in the public arena. We see it in politics. We see people this week, someone uh, last two weeks ago, the federal government, the DOJ, fired one of our local uh, prosecutors here. One of the things they were known for is they didn't care if the person was innocent or, or guilty. All they cared about is a conviction. No, 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 no other options. But I, I can't imagine 800 days almost going by and they still are just passionate hatred toward that. When we talk about the abortion issue, it's amazing that such hatred and, and animosity could come toward our Supreme Court justices. The things that are done are just unbelievably unexplainable. Clarence Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, whoever puts there, who are they? they're all of a sudden villainized because they would... They would look at the laws and say, you know, this is not constitutional. We had to protect life. Amen. It's unbelievable the hatred and the, and the cruelty and the meanness. But, you know, this is just as old as mankind is. Right. Just as old as Cain killing his brother, Abel. It goes with who we are. It goes with our sinful nature. And man left to himself is an embarrassment and a shame and a... And a and a uh, drudgery and a problem to society. These people are eat up with it. All they want to do is get one innocent man. They want to kill him. And he hasn't even seen him face to face in over 750 days. They're just, they hate him. Hate him. It's amazing the, the hatred there. 
Another thing that comes to my mind is our civil leaders need our prayer. Our civil leaders need our prayer. If you look at verse number 13, take your Bibles there and turn there if you would, please. The Bible says, and after certain days, the king Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, there's a certain man left in bonds by Felix. Here, Paul was an amazing man, and he's just another guy. Here, he didn't know what he was dealing with there. He'll find, look, if you, for sake of time, look at verse 19. But I had certain questions against him of their own, what's the next word? Superstition, that's what he called them. And one Jesus, whom was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. It's interesting to me, civil leaders oftentimes, and this is, not gen, this is a general thing, but they need our prayers. And by the way, does God command us to pray for civil leaders? He said, pray for kings and for all that are in authority. Even people you don't like, you ought to pray that God will bless them. God will help them. God will oversee them. And we see this even in this situation. Festus, Felix thought he was all that. Pilate thought he was all that. Herod thought he was all that. Then this this guy, uh, Festus, is coming in. He's coming in strong. But the truth of the matter is, and then Agrippa is going to show up. You know, it's kind of interesting to me is Agrippa... His, the first Herod the Great is the one who killed all the babies in Judea, baby boys in Judea, when Jesus was born and he was taken to, to Egypt. He issued a mass slaughter of all the children, the boys. His, his, the next one, Herod Antipas, he's the one who killed John the Baptist over a belly dance. He's the one who killed him. The guy who preceded him, Agrippa I, Herod, He's the one who killed the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem, James, the brother of John, beheaded him, and arrested Peter, intending to kill him. Till Peter is released miraculously and, and goes another place. And now Agrippa II, fourth in the line of perversion, he is living with, Beat- with uh, Bernice, his sister, probably immoral, it's the, it's the dis- depravity of the day. She has already left another guy and gone to her uncle and then now goes to him. Will leave him and one day be married to Titus. She's wicked too. And she shows up in Caesarea with the new guy in town and, and, uh, and Agrippa. What's beautiful to see here is that God is so merciful to give Agrippa the opportunity to hear the gospel. See, a merciful God one says, well, how could a God so merciful let anyone go to hell? It's a God who's so merciful that tries to keep a few of us out of there. And that loves us enough to get the gospel to us. When I think about this real quickly, I want to just say, sometimes it's the, it's the civil leader's pride and their position and their politics that blind them from the truth. But you know what they do, men? They put their pants the same way that you put your pants on. They need the gospel. They need prayer. They need Christians to take opportunities to share the gospel with them. I'm so glad that God's done this here in this passage of Scripture. The rest of the chapter, and I won't take time to go through the rest of it, but what will happen is that Festus is in a mess. He's got a local problem. 
And he's got a local problem to deal with. He's got a legal issue to deal with. Now a guy who is, he tried to do a kangaroo court is now appealed to Caesar. He's got a legal issue. And, uh, and then he's got a logical issue. He doesn't have anything to send to Caesar with, with substance. Everything he's been tried with, he's been innocent, innocent, and no one can prove him. And he's nervous about sending him to Caesar without information. And it's causing him a lot of problems. And so he gets the help from King Agrippa. And King Agrippa, in their next chapter, you'll see he comes in, a lot of pomp and circumstance. But it's beautiful is that God knows how to draw a straight line with a crooked stick. He knows how to use the most profane, wicked individuals to set up things to get the gospel. Your squabble with your neighbor is not about you and your neighbor. It's about what God's trying to accomplish. How are you going to handle that? The situation at work and being laid off, it's not about you and getting laid off. It's about something God's trying to do. It would be a good day when Christians understand that everything that's happening, God is good at making a mess a miracle. God is good at making all things work together for good. What we'll mess ourselves up and really get ourselves squirrely is when we all think it's all about us. Our problems. You know what would happen here? Paul would have a chance in chapter 26, and I hope you'll read it ahead and learn more about it than I could ever teach you in a few minutes. We're together. But he'll stand in front of that, that man, he and his perverse cohort that's with him. They'll stand there together, and he'll stand there, and they're going to bring five, of course, Festus is there. He brings the captains. He brings all the people in there. He brings five of the main men of the city of Caesarea. He brings five men who are in charge of a 1,000 soldiers each. And they get to listen to one little bald-headed Jew who can't see very good, who stands there and articulates his testimony. He speaks about his countrymen, he speaks about his conversion, and then he speaks about Christ and what he can do for him. He took something that was bad and made it good. I can't help but think that God wants to do the same thing in your life and my life. Don't fall in love with your problems. See your problems through the lenses that God's trying to accomplish for his glory and others' good. Let's pray together, can we?